Originally from Ukraine and now residing in the United States, they are called Chudyevna, which means charming or enchanting. And that was a song all about romance and young love in a cherry orchard. Dobry vechir i vitaju vas vsih dorhi radio suhoči na radio programu Naš Holos, radio Krinskoho Korinja, katera podijeci vam na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misci Vancouveri. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina Makwari, djakuju štorišale perebute zimnoju na stupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you on AM 1320CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Paula Demchik Makori Pukarinska Pavlina, and I'll be your host, Yaksvichino. And on tonight's show, we've got Kanishka Corner and a review of a book set during the World War One internment operations by a Vancouver author. And as well, we've got an interview with a Vancouver Island author who has just launched uh, another new novel, a sequel in her family saga that was set in the early 20th century. And this second novel is set during the Depression so stay tuned for all of that as well. We've got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a song by Previt from Montreal from their brand new CD released earlier this year, Nefsimenaya, Not All Things Fade Away. Here they are now with Horespliat, The Sleeping Hills. Yeah. 
Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. APL. APL. The world is yours.
воєнним був, Давид зіграв, там Бог почув, Як серце в пісні плаче і сумує. Цю пісню він не раз співав з мінору, На мажор злітав розбитий цар, Співає Галілуя.
And from Ukraine, a singer I discovered on YouTube. His name is Viktor Kopot, and that, of course, the Ukrainian version of the Canadian classic by Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah. And before him, also from Ukraine, Troya Zelia, and uh, interesting combination of a Ukrainian folk song and an American jazz classic composed by Paul Desmond and recorded by the Dave Brubeck Quartet back in 1959. And a couple of years later, it went on to be an incredibly big hit. And, of course, that was Take 5. And Troyazilia's combo, they call Take 5 Payamo. Let's drink. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik. Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner... We will be discussing Glenn Husser's novel, Firebird. Firebird is an historical novel written for young adults. It explores Canada's history of ethnic discrimination during the First World War. Canada entered the war in August 1914 to aid Great Britain against Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Many immigrants had come to Canada at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century to escape oppression and poverty in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. When war broke out, they were labeled enemy aliens by the War Measures Act, which was passed in August 1914. Many were imprisoned in forced labor camps across Canada. Glenn Husser's novel explores the impact of this unjust imprisonment on one Ukrainian family. 14-year-old Alex Kaminsky and his older brother Marco live with their uncle Andrew on an Alberta farm. Marco is a talented artist, but he decides he must find work with a threshing crew in September 1915. One night in early December, Alex's uncle drinks too much moonshine and falls into a deep sleep. During the night, The house catches fire, and he perishes. Alex is badly burned, but manages to get out of the house. His neighbors, the Wallaces, take him home to nurse him back to health. As he recovers, he remembers the tragedy of his family journey to Canada and the deaths of his parents in Hamburg. The medicine hadn't helped. Both he and Marco had tried desperately to nurse them, But Mama slipped away first, and three days later, Tato closed his eyes for the last time. When the Wallace family learns about the death of their oldest son, Robin, who was fighting in Europe, they are devastated. Suddenly, Alex feels as if some of the family is blaming him for Robin's death. Just because he came from Eastern Europe and was now considered an enemy alien, What were they thinking? That he had somehow been responsible for Robin's death? Alex knows he must leave, and he goes to live with Mr. Bales, the owner of the general store. Alex gets a letter from his brother Marco, who was working for Mr. Granger, an abusive employer in Vagreville. Marco has befriended Granger's young Ukrainian wife, Stella, He does not yet know about the fire. Alex decides he must find Marco 
In his heart, he knew that he had to go and search for Marco. They were meant to be together. It's what Mama and Tato would have wanted. Alex begins a difficult and dangerous journey to find Marco. He takes the train to Vagreville, but discovers that his brother was arrested for theft and sent to a labor camp for enemy aliens. Stealing Granger's money? Alex felt like screaming with the outrage of it. It must have been his wages. Granger must have tried doing him out of what he's earned in the months he worked for him. When Alex visits Granger, the farmer manages to steal Alex's money as well. Now penniless, Alex must once again rely on the kindness of strangers. He is befriended by Carl Arneson, a Norwegian carpenter who takes him home and sends him to school. His grade six teacher, Mr. Delane, adopts him when Carl's family can no longer support Alex. Eventually, the teacher's family helps Alex free Marco from the Castle Mountain internment camp in Banff. This well-written and exciting story will introduce young readers to the injustice of the internment camps in Canada during the First World War. By 1920, Canada had imprisoned over 8,000 men in these forced labor camps. More than a 100 of them died of disease and malnutrition. Some, like Marco and his friend Ivan, were injured or even killed trying to escape. However, the most devastating effect of internment was the psychological damage inflicted on the prisoners, who struggled with their unjust imprisonment for the rest of their lives. In recognition of these injustices, in 2008, the Canadian government created a $10 million First World War Internment Recognition Fund to support commemoration projects. This is a very personal novel for Glenn Husser. In his dedication, he states, In memory of my father, Harry Husser, an immigrant boy, artist, and musician. His parents were Norwegian immigrants who struggled to make a new home for themselves in Canada, like the Kaminsky family. Both Alex and Marco are courageous and determined young men who love their family and their Ukrainian culture. Despite the obvious injustice of the forced labor camps, both brothers find good people to help them survive. Marco falls in love with Granger's brutalized wife, Stella. Alex is helped by several Canadian families and finally finds a home with his teacher's widowed Aunt Maddie. The image of Marco's drawing of the firebird, a bird which rises from the ashes and triumphs in the end, reverberates throughout this poignant novel. When asked about the firebird's magic, Alex states that the bird dies in the fall, but in spring it rises in brilliance from its own ashes. Glenn Husser has been a teacher, school librarian, journalist, and sessional lecturer in children's literature and creative writing at the University of Alberta, and the University of British Columbia. His first novel, Grace Lake, was shortlisted for the 1992 W.H. Smith 
Books in Canada First Novel Award. His books for young adult readers have won many awards, such as the 2003 Governor General's Literary Award winner, Stitches, and the 2007 Governor General's Silver Medal Award winner, Skinny Bones and the Wrinkle Queen. His short stories have appeared in literary magazines such as Plenitude and The New Quarterly. Glenn lives in Vancouver, where he continues to write as well as pursue interests in art and film studies. Firebird is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ja, 
This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver. Зелене шито зелене, хороші гості у мене. Зелене жито женці жнуть, хороші гості мене жнуть. Зелене жито женці жнуть, хороші гості мене жнуть. Ой, зелене жито зелене, хороші гості у мене. Зелене жито при межі, хороші гості від душі. Зелене жито при межі, хороші гості від душі. Ой, зелене жито зелене, хороші гості у мене. Зелене жито ще й овес, тут зібрався і наш увес. Зелене жито ще й овес, тут зібрався і наш увес. Хороші гості за столом, 
Зелене жито, зелене, хороші гості у мене. Зелене жито, женці жнуть, хороші гості мене жнуть. Зелене жито, женці жнуть, хороші гості мене жнуть. From a live recording made back oh, in the 1970s or 80s, a very popular group uh, in Ukraine at that time called Vatra, and that is uh, that translates as bonfire. And that song was a classic Ukrainian welcoming song, Zelenaya Zheto, Green Grows the Rye. And before them, from much closer to home, right here in Vancouver, in fact, our own Slavic soul group called Zelia, and a song from their first album that they recorded back in the 1990s. And it is a song, a very sad song, as you could tell by the melody. And it was about the plight of a Ukrainian immigrant in the early 20th century wandering around Canada having lost pretty much everything he came with, which was not much to begin with. Zilia with Hoju po Kanade. Up next from London, England, Stefan Pasichnik, otherwise known as Ludwig. And here he is with an original composition of his that he just posted on YouTube a couple of days ago. It is called Odnach Velena, Just a Minute. soldiers are killed or wounded by Russian invaders. You can help wounded heroes by joining the Adopt-A-Soldier program of registered charity Ukraine War Amps. A small monthly donation goes very far for medical services and living expenses and creates a special bond between you and a wounded hero. 100% of your contribution goes to the soldier. Please, adopt a soldier today. Visit ukrainewaramps.ca or find us on Facebook. 
This past Thursday, Vancouver Island author Diana Stevan launched her novel, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, in a virtual book launch organized by the Vancouver Island Public Library. I had a chance to chat with Diana just before the launch, and the interview aired on the Nanaimo edition this past Wednesday. Here is an excerpt of that interview. On the line with me now is Vancouver Island author Diana Stevan, who has just released her latest novel, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl. Lilacs in the Dust Bowl is set during the Great Depression in Canada. It is the sequel to Sunflowers Under Fire, her first novel in this family saga, based on a true story. So welcome back to Nasholas, Diana. Thank you so much, Paulina. It's great to have you on the show again and uh, get caught up. I remember like it was yesterday when you launched Sunflowers Under Fire in downtown Nanaimo at the Vancouver Island Regional Library. But, uh, of course, some time has passed, and you've been very busy since writing your sequel. So tell us about it. Uh, It's based on a true story. Uh, Whose story? Based on my Baba story, Lucia Mazuret, which became Lucia Mazuric in Canada. Okay. And uh, I I never thought I'd write the first one. And after I wrote the first one, uh, readers were asking me, well, what happens next? Mm. And uh, Sunflowers Under Fire has done quite well. It's... uh, you know, want some attention in some contests. Great. So I thought, you know, I knew the characters already, and I thought, why not? And and then when COVID shocked too, that gave me the opportunity to re- dig in and do some research. Mm-hmm. So, um, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl basically picks up where Sunflowers Under Fire left off, and it shows how my Baba leaves her village and you know, arrives in Canada just before the stock market crashes in the summer of 1929 and before the Great Depression begins. And so I often thought my first book could have been titled Oi, Oi, Oi. (laughs) And this book could have been titled uh, The Frying Pan Into the Fire because uh, she um, came here hoping that she could have um, a farm with good soil and uh, a secure future for her family, what was left of it. But instead, she found um, you know some really hard times here. What prompted you to write um, to start this story with sunflowers under fire? I guess I could say my my uh, granddaughter Chloe. My mother was a wonderful storyteller, and she would tell stories about the old country. And I didn't pay attention when I was young because I think when you're young, you're Mm-hmm. Only concerned with yourself mostly. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what your parents say, um, yeah, flies over your head. Especially if they become tearful as you're talking about the old country. Right. So I um, didn't pay a whole lot of attention. And then when my mom got older, away, what I would do is I thought, well, she's getting older and her memory's going. I better write these down, and I did. Like for just for my own family history that I could pass on to my grandchildren. And so during the course of, I think, um, a talk with my granddaughter, Chloe, she said to me, you know, Bobby, you should write this story. I had already written two other novels, which were quite different. One was a romantic mystery, and the other one was a women's fiction. Hmm. And so I thought, yeah, maybe I should. So I started. Amazing. Now, this is a story of your granddaughter's great-great-grandmother, then. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. like five generations back. I can see why she would have asked you to do that. 
Well, I, I wish my Baba was still alive. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. think I said this on the previous radio broadcast that I shared a bedroom with Baba until I was 15 years of age. Uh-huh. But she never talked about what happened, uh, the kind of life she led in the old country or what it was like in Canada. And perhaps she just didn't want to revisit those times. Um, they were hard times. Yeah, yeah. Although, Paulina, in this book, there is, you know, some lightness. There's, um, yeah. I mean, even though they weathered the Great Depression, there was time for laughter and song and dance and even even a couple of loves. Um, there's a love story in here. Oh, that's nice. It's nice to have romance in a, <laughs> in, in a story. There's a couple. There's a couple. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple in there. So, so what happened was um, Lucia came here. Uh, how old was she when she came to Canada? She was 54, but the cutoff age was 50. Oh. So in, at the end of Sunflowers Under Fire, we see some of the ways that she has to figure out in order to pass at 50. She was very worried, you know, that she'd be caught and she wouldn't be allowed to um, emigrate. Oh. Yeah, but she managed to get here and uh, very brave of her. I mean, I think... Yeah, I think of her, um, you know, an unsung heroine. So many like her. So many oh, yeah. women uh, of every culture who mm-hmm. have sacrificed for their families. I, I just find it incredibly amazing. Yeah, to emigrate here at at that age with with your family. She came with her husband or without? No, without a husband. Without a husband. No. Wow. Yeah, but children no, with children. With children, what was left of her family? Right. Wow. She came with four children. And, uh, you know, she had given birth to eight. She came with four and, and, uh, yeah, left, left what she knew behind. I mean, to me, that's so incredible. And I, I, uh, I was thinking about, you know, we're all in this pandemic now and we're, we're suffering, you know, with not being with loved ones. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Baba, I mean, she weathered typhus, the typhus epidemic in the old country. Right. And then she comes here and she never spoke to her mother again. Your mother was left behind, never heard her voice. Mm. They had no telephone. Mm-hmm. They had no television like we do to distract us from our pain. Right. You know, and they had to, you know, figure out how to, to keep the roof over their head, basically, and, and feed themselves. I mean, it was the basics. Yeah. Um, even in Canada, you know, our, yeah. our families who came here. Yeah. So it's, I just have such admiration for her. Yeah. So your your mom told her mom's stories to you. Yes. She would tell them around the kitchen table. You know, we'd sit and have a meal. And at the end of the meal, we'd have a cup of tea. And, the, and mom would start talking. And dad would tear up. Oh. <laughs> I think that's when I zoned out. You know, just maybe it was just like too much. But then later in life, I thought, yeah, I better write Please. these down. Yeah, I wish I had done that with, with my mom. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do encourage my friends to do that because, you know, it, my mother and Baba, they were illiterate, but they were also very smart women, mm-hmm. but circumstances in their lives. Mother was a wonderful oral storyteller. Mm-hmm. The um, the first book, Sunflower Under Fire, that we'll find out why what happened to the other four children and her husband, right? Yeah. And and then so when she comes to Canada twenty nine, right smack into the Great Depression. I remember my mom talked my mom was born in nineteen thirty one and I remember her talking about life on the farm, but of course they she was born here already and her you know, her parents and grandparents came twenty years, thirty years prior. 
And uh, so they were already settled, but and they had a farm and it was already developed and producing well. But still, the hardships that the few things that she talked about, and we used to, again, laugh. Oh, yeah, Mom, you know, you walk to school three miles uphill, barefoot in the snow both ways, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, you know, uh, it's kind of too bad that, you know, we don't pay more attention when we're young to our parents' stories, uh, especially now, you know, even, you know, how much, how much different life was three years ago for young people, even, you know, for, never mind for us, but even young people growing up now. Right, they've yeah. got they've got stories to tell. I mean, the world is is uh, much more unstable now than it was when we were growing up. Yeah, they have a different set of problems for sure. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. But I just feel so incredibly lucky and blessed. Yeah, that, you know, even though we are at a distance, like my daughter and and uh, Chloe and and uh, Mimi and and my son in law are far away, and I haven't seen them for over a year and a half, but. You know, we can phone, we can text, we can Zoom, email, yeah. we can do FaceTime, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But even still, I mean, that's not, doesn't take the place of face-to-face human contact, right? And I think that young people, today's young people, will be able to relate to your story of hardship. Uh, it was a different sets of circumstances and different problems, but yet I think the emotional side of it, anyone could relate to, especially today. I th- I'm hoping they'll find it inspiring. I mean, to me, it certainly has been inspiring and even some flowers in, under fire. I mean, that's what, you know, some mm-hmm. years have told me is, is to understand that we have more strength than we think at mm-hmm. times. And even when life throws us, some very difficult uh, challenges. We we rise up, mm-hmm. and this is what my Baba did. She rose to the challenge, mm-hmm. and her family did, and and uh, other families during that that time. And by the way, I should mention too, in Alex and the Dust Bowl, um, you know, my Baba ends up working as a domestic uh, on Selkirk Avenue in Winnipeg, which was a huge Eastern European kind of uh, market. Place, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, lots of Jewish people and Polish and Ukrainian mm-hmm. um, shops there. And so there's some interesting sort of historical um, stuff that I discovered in writing this novel mm-hmm. that I think will be of interest to uh, to readers, too, about, about those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandmother worked as a domestic, too, but would, it would have been before your grandmother's time because it would have been probably 20 years prior um, in Winnipeg. By the time your grandmother was there, uh, mine was on the farm. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, uh, interesting parallels there. Yeah, I did get a couple of um, recordings with my mom, but there's just so much that, unfortunately, is lost forever. So um, great that you have, because I'm sure that the story that you tell is very common to, to many others. So I certainly recommend anybody that hasn't, to, uh, to get uh, Diana Stevens' books. If people want to buy your book, how would they do that? Well, it'll be available at major booksellers online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be ordered in to any kind of bricks and order, mortars bookstore. Mm-hmm. And on Vancouver Island, it'll be at uh, Save on Foods and uh, Coho Books in Campbell River, Laughing Oyster uh, bookshop in Courtney and at Window Seat Books in Nanaimo. Oh, super. And you said it's available online as well? Yes, both the ebook and the paper book. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for writing the books. And uh, look, are, is there going to be a third, another one? 
Yes, there is. Oh, great. I've started writing it, yes. Wow. When does it take place? Uh, it takes place starting in 1937 and will probably go till about 1943. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, keep us posted on that and look forward to uh, getting you on the show to talk about that one. So happy writing. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Diana. Yeah, nice talking with you, Paulina. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
and a couple of Edmonton groups for you there. That was Millennia, you just heard, with Ostafi's Odyssey from their third CD, Bracha Brothers. And before them, from a long, long time ago, a vinyl recording made back in the 1980s uh, by Dumka. And that was Ruta Ruta, the Red Rue in the Field. Nijal Mivshiskin Chilla Nashu Pramu, Puran and Prashatisia Nashtodin Tejdin, Alapitimia Hotu Zalashitavas to Kimaslavame Mudroste. Yazak Miake, Alechasam Bia Hirsha Nahaike. And our proverb of the week translates as A gentle tongue is sometimes more painful than a whip. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder that the Nanaimo edition of Nash Holos can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If you miss the on-air or live stream broadcast, the podcast link is available at our website, www.nashholos.com. There's also a link to our Patreon site there, and I hope you'll consider supporting our work. That's www.nashholos.com. Well, our time is about up, so to take us to the end of our program, one last toe-tapper by the Playboy Band from Edmonton. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM1320, thanks for listening, and Dobranich! Раз дурня любоще корела, полапьется на пелоне каташе сдела, а ехал я вену пегу юку куповаты, а там пана девчонка юше дуроваты. А малышка там голова я попродавала. А ей попросил бел на туровала, Як сначала туруате без умробетки, А я лучше я и зачетку и купетки. A-P-L. A-P-L. 
the one others are trying to catch up with. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.